0: The pastor was delighted. Oh, you mean you'll give money to the church? I see your dad has taught you about the importance of tithing. The boy shook his head. No, he clarified. I said, I'm going to give you some money. And why is that, said the pastor? Because my dad keeps saying that you are the poorest preacher we've ever had. Given that we are in week three of a four-week series on stewardship, I will understand if you were starting to feel that way about me. But alas, there is more work to do. And today we will look at the foundation of extravagant generosity, gratitude. We cannot be extravagantly generous with our money, with our life, if we are not intentional about practicing gratitude. I spent last week at a conference, and the keynote was Brene Brown. If you are not familiar with Brene's work, she is a best-selling author and somewhat of an expert on the subject of human emotion, but in listening, I was reminded of something very profound that emerged from her research, namely that gratitude is not primarily an attitude or an emotion outside of our conscious control. It's a practice, a conscious choice, something we cultivate in our life that then creates joy and generosity. But our instinct is to assume the opposite, right? We think, if I feel joy, then gratitude will follow. But what emerged from Brene's research was the opposite that the intentional and consistent choice to practice gratitude, that this is what creates joy in our life and opens the door to an experience of greater generosity. And here's what that means for this conversation we've been having about stewardship. I think it means that we don't feel our way into a different way of giving. We give our way... ...into a different way of feeling. In today's gospel, Jesus heals ten lepers... ...only one of which returns to give thanks. And as I'm sure you know, in biblical times... ...leprosy was a disease that made you an outcast. That's why Luke goes out of his way to say that... ...in approaching Jesus, these lepers kept their distance. They didn't feel allowed or worthy to get too close... But, of course, Jesus, from his perspective of love and grace, chooses to get close to them. Jesus approaches them. Jesus heals them. But only one leper returns to give thanks to God. Only one pauses long enough to see something deeper than a restored physical body. Only one pauses long enough ...to notice a dignity and a love that Jesus had shown... ...a love and acceptance that was deeply healing to his heart. And Luke tells us that it's when the leper saw that he was healed... ...when he paused long enough to notice that his life had changed... ...that is when he turns back, falls at the feet of Jesus... ...and says, thank you. And so here's the question I want us to ask this morning. Do we see? Have we paused long enough to see that in and through this church... ...that regardless of whatever brokenness and sickness and fear you have experienced... ...that Jesus Christ has always stood with you... ...and that he always will... Do we see that because of who Jesus is, we do not have to keep our distance from God, but that God delights in drawing close to us and giving us the healing and presence that we need? Because the point of my sermon this morning is deceivingly simple. God has given us everything. Everything. And the foundation of a life of extravagant generosity is a willingness and a practice of pausing on a routine basis to look, to see the healing and blessing and riches that God lavishes on us day in and day out. And in doing so, not to feel, but to practice, to gesture, to do something tangible, as an expression of our gratitude. As N.T. Wright once put it, every mouthful of food we take, every breath of air we inhale, every note of music we hear, every smile on the face of a friend, parent, or child, all of that and a million things other are gifts from God's generosity. I imagine you may have heard of St. Benedict. Benedict was the father of Western monasticism, and he was so taken by God's generosity that there was one thing he had no patience for in his community, and it was an ungrateful monk. So in his famous rule for monasteries, this is how complaining monks were to be dealt with, and I quote... Let Father Abbott send two stout monks to help the grumbler reconsider. It seems the father of Western monasticism believed that nothing cured ingratitude quicker than a right hook to the jaw. We will not be implementing that policy here at St. Michael's, but it does remind me of something we all too easily forget. Gratitude is not an emotion but a choice a gesture we make to say thank you for something we have received, a gesture that always opens up the door in our life to greater joy and generosity. And so I want to share with you a story I read recently that really ties together generosity and gratitude about a young man by the name of John. And John was diagnosed with a cruel form of muscular dystrophy when he was five years old. And every year John's life took something away from him. He lost his ability to run, to walk without support, and eventually to stand. John didn't have many friends, and his life was very lonely. One year John got a break. He was named the ambassador for muscular dystrophy in the state of California and was invited to a high-profile charity auction and dinner. Celebrities were there. Athletes were there, CEOs were there, and John was there. When the auction began, there was one item in particular that really grabbed John's attention. It was a basketball sign by the Sacramento Kings, his favorite basketball team. John got a little carried away, and he started bidding on the basketball. But because his family was poor his mom had to physically restrain him because she knew they could not afford this basketball. But on and on went the bidding, higher and higher. That is until one man who had noticed this interaction between John and his mother, he stood up and he offered an amount that was so high for this basketball that it shocked everyone in the room and the bidding came to an end. This man walked to the front of the room to claim his prize, but instead of returning to his seat, he walked all the way across that banquet hall, and he placed the basketball in John's thin, frail hands. The heart of Christianity is a belief that God does for each one of us what this man did for John what Jesus did for these lepers. God notices us. God sees us in our struggle. God approaches us. And God even pays a shockingly high price to give us something we could never obtain by ourselves. Each one of us has been given the gift of life, the gift of love, the gift of salvation. And when we reject that gift, or don't notice that gift, which we do every single day. God refuses to keep God's distance. Jesus sees us in our struggle. He comes to us, and God places that which we lose, that which we long for, right back in our hands in God's own time. But the question is always, do we notice? And are we grateful? G.K. Chesterson once said that the worst moment for an atheist is when he or she feels grateful and there is no one to thank. In a moment, we'll come to that part of our liturgy known as the Great Thanksgiving. We will receive Eucharist, a word that literally means Thanksgiving, And we will get really clear as the people of God that we do have someone to thank. That it is to God that we owe our entire existence. And in doing so, hopefully we will see something that is all too easy to miss in today's world, which is that life is a miracle, that grace surrounds us on every side, As Brennan Manning once put it, you and I have received a bona fide invitation to drink new wine forever at the wedding feast in the kingdom of God. And so in a moment, whenever you approach God's table and open your hand, I invite you to pause, to notice, to reflect, and to pay attention to how much in your life you have actually been given. And instead of crossing yourself and saying amen just for today, open your hand and receive the bread and just say thank you, amen.